This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Bob Hughes is the guest speaker on this message. Today's message, we're going to call this Revival, Acts 2 Again. And uh, so let's let's pray and let's dedicate this time to the Lord because I, I for sure need Him. And you do too. I'll give you a little hint. You do too. So, Lord, we, we give you this time. We stand in your presence, Lord, and uh, we just pray the, the, the prayer that, that Paul prayed so often, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would know the hope of your calling, that we'd know our inheritance in the saints, and we'd know the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, who can empower us and, and lead us to live lives without regret. But we pray for our friend Craig as he's in Minneapolis this morning. Would you bless him as he serves Rick and the pastors in that area and and blesses that church this morning. We stand with our friend in prayer right now. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, please lead us. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, as we we hit this last uh, talk on revival. Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down, Spirit of God, and touch our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. You may be seated. The ultimate picture of revival is what we find in the second chapter of Acts. Not only is Acts 2 the ultimate picture of what revival looks like, it's really the the archetype or the, the model of what all true revivals should be. And indeed, as you study church history, there's a number of really great books Sometimes because we haven't experienced revival in the United States really since the early 50s. Some folks would say that the charismatic renewal of the 60s was a little bit of a sprinkling, but real revival where where whole regions are transformed with the gospel, we, we haven't experienced that uh, in our lives. So we don't know what to anticipate, we don't know what it is, and it can be really helpful to read about it. And there's a million great books on it. If you have questions about that, you can ask me. I'll tell you um, a few good ones. But uh, So in, what we want to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 together this morning. But before we do that, we're going to start a chapter early. We're going to lay the groundwork in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read... Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 8. So please turn in your Bible or click on your phone or whatever it is, and we'll jump in. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during a 40-day period and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What a great section of scripture, huh? Let's just go home. That's just awesome right there. Luke begins right off the bat in in his uh, letter to his friend Theophilus, telling us that his book is not what Jesus did in the first book that he wrote, the book of Luke, but what Jesus continues to do and teach by his Holy Spirit to and through the church. And it's amazing how much you can get out of just a couple of verses. So before we even get started here, turn with me to verse 3. It says, He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was hanging with his disciples and preparing them. We don't think of that much, do we? A lot can get done in in 40 days. Wouldn't you love to be a bug on the wall and hear what Jesus was teaching his disciples during that 40-day period that he was with them? And though, though we don't we don't know everything that happened during that time, the scripture is very kind and it tells us a number of really important things that happen over that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And we, we know that first of all, he appeared to Mary, right? We know that story. She's, she goes to the tomb she's, and she's caught off guard that the gardener's, the gardener's there. He says, Mary, he says, teacher. So Mary was the first one that Jesus appeared to. And then we know the story about the guys who are on the road to Emmaus, right? And Jesus just calmly comes alongside them. They begin this conversation and he reveals himself through that that time with them. And we know the story of how Jesus appears to the disciples on the beach, how they'd gone back fishing and how he's... He's cooking breakfast for them on the beach and, and how he restores his relationship with Peter in that, in that moment. It's just a fantastic story. And even Paul, who wasn't there for any of this, writes in 1 Corinthians 15, how Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people at one time. And again, teaching them about the kingdom of God. But there are three very important events that happen in this window between the resurrection and the ascension that are absolutely critical for every believer to know about, to understand, and to benefit from. So we're going to take a second here, and I'm going to take you through. Keep your finger right where you I guess you don't keep your finger in your, your phone anymore, I know. Um, if you have a Bible, put your finger. We're not going away. We're going to come back, okay? I'll take us on a few diversions, but we'll use slides to do this. The, f- the first of these key events is found in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. And this is the very evening of Christ's resurrection. It's Sunday night. And it says, on the, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad, I guess so, 
when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And listen to this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's just an unbelievable moment. The, The word, the Greek word, breathed on them is the exact same word that's that's used in the the Old Testament Septuagint, which is where the the Hebrew is translated into the Greek so that those people could understand it. And it's the parallel word that's used in two key moments in scriptural history. And first of all, it's the fulfillment of Genesis 2-7. That may not mean anything to you, but it's it's the moment that God, God in his triune glory said, let us make man in our own image. And it says that God took the dirt of the ground and he formed a man and he breathed on him. And Adam became a living being. It's, it's, it's one of those It's a wonder moment. And the same word we find in Ezekiel 37, which Craig taught on a number of weeks ago in our series. And it's the story of Ezekiel where the Lord appears to Ezekiel and he gives him a vision of a valley and the valley is full of dead bones and it's it's gross, it's disgusting. And, And the Lord says to him, can these bones live? And uh, like any wise person who God speaks to, his wise answer is, Lord, you know, okay? I don't know. And the, the, the Lord says to him, prophesy to the bones. And, and the Spirit of God came upon the dry bones. And the bones came together. And, and then there was muscle on the bones and sinew and skin on the bones. And it says that... that from dry, dead, worthless heaps of bones, the breath of God raised up an exceeding great army. It's a picture of the church. It's an Old Testament prophecy of who we are supposed to be. And so as Jesus in John 20 breathes on his disciples, it's the restoration of Genesis 2, the restoration of the garden where God and man are restored, where the breath of God comes in the man again and he's a living being because of what Jesus did in dying for our sins and rising from the dead. And it's the birth of the church where the dead bones are coming together. And it's an exceeding great army of people that model and proclaim the glories of the kingdom of God. It's a wonder. It's awesome. Oh, my. I get myself happy here, guys. It's fantastic. Honestly, I am. When you have the privilege of studying God's word, there's nobody in the room that's more blessed than you. It's, it's awesome. It's infinite. It never ends. The problem is where do you put in the borders and stop? Because it just keeps going. Um, so what a wonder. So that's our first key event. Pretty important, right? You can think, do we even need any? We're done here, right? 
Do we need a single other thing? Here's what Matthew Henry has to say about this, and many of us would have the old Matthew Henry commentaries, one of the great uh, reform teachers. Here's what he says. Hope you've got that up there. There you go. Good. Thank you. Let's hear it for help in the back. Thank you very much. I'm not even going to turn. That's the last time I'm going to turn around, so you're on your own, honey. Okay? So, but listen to Matthew Henry. He says, as the breath of the Almighty gave life to man, and the old world began. So the breath of the mighty Savior gave life to his ministers and began a whole new world. Wow. So we see the Spirit of God restored to man for the first time since Adam's fall. Wonder of wonders. We see the birth of the new community of disciples joined life to life as a people for God's pleasure to display his character and to do his work. Wow. Uh, what, what else could there be? Is there, could there possibly be more? Yes, there's more. Number two key event that happens. This is found in Luke 24, 44, and 45. You can put up this slide if you would. It says this, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the second thing that Jesus did in this window between the resurrection and the ascension was in that 40-day period, he met with the disciples and he taught them the scriptures. And he taught them that all of the Old Testament prophecies, whether it's in the law or whether it's the prophets, it's the Psalms, all of scripture tell only one story. And it's the story of the Savior, that all of it was about him. And not only does he teach them about that, but it says he opened their minds. He he gave them divine illumination so that they could understand all of the scriptures to see how it was really all one story about one Savior and God's great purpose for all of the world, to redeem the world, to declare the glory of of the Savior, the Son of God. And uh, wouldn't that be cool? to sit with Jesus for 40 days and have Jesus teach us the Old Testament. I don't know anybody who's better at teaching Jesus in the Old Testament than Craig, but I'll take Jesus, okay? (laughs) Nothing personal, buddy, if you listen to this tape, but uh, I'll take Jesus. And again, what more could there be? They're, They're born again. The church is born. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They're new creations. They're taught the Word of God by Jesus. Could there possibly be more? No way. Yes, there's more. Well, what could that possibly be? Well, it's, it's this third key event, which is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a a wonder. Jesus not only gives resurrection life to his new disciples, they're born again by the Spirit of God, they're taught, but now they're commissioned. They're given a purpose. They're being set apart for a life that really matters. 
It's the great commission, the great finale of God's purpose, charging his disciples to go and change the world with the gospel. So between Christ's resurrection and the ascension, the disciples are born again, personally trained by Jesus in his word with a dose of supernatural illumination and then commissioned by Jesus to go everywhere and to see everything as a setting to make disciples. Are we done here? Could there possibly be anything else that we would need? And yet Jesus says that there's something more. Look with me. Okay, we're back to our scripture now. Look back with me. Acts 1, verse 4. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them. Look at that word. He ordered them. And they, wow, that's pretty strong. What does that mean? Well, guess what? It means he ordered them. It means he gave them orders. He commanded them. He charged them. Wow, it sounds serious. What, what did he, what's he tell them to be sure and do? Well, we continue on. He, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Well, to, to wait? I mean, you just got done commissioning us. We're, we're saved, we're trained, we're commissioned. Let's get busy, right? Isn't, isn't that how this thing's supposed to work? Well, so we read on. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wow, there's, so, there's something more that's apparently very important. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, their questions are like our questions, right? These guys have been with Jesus for three years. Now another intense 40 days of training. They're still completely clueless. Very much like you and me, right? I recognize it because I, my wife tells me about it, right? So when they came together, he asked them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Somehow... To Jesus, this is a mystery. Somehow to Jesus, being born again, being trained in the word, being commissioned and given an eternal cause is really great, but not enough. But not enough. You know, I guess it could be enough if it was just about me personally. I I guess it could be enough if it's just about my salvation, about my understanding, about my purpose. But the problem is the gospel is not about you and me. The gospel is about living for the glory of God, a a transformed people who no longer live for themselves, but live for the glory of God and for the good of those who don't know him. It's giving our lives for others like Jesus gave his life for us. And that means 
that our lives have got to be a, about a lot more than than just our needs. Our our lives have got to be uh, about a lot more than just being personally full, right? I could do the little illustration with the cup and we could fill the cup. We could see that little bead on top of the cup if we want to. But but the full cup is not going to cut it, right? The full cup is great for you and me, but we need the hose in that cup cranked up that 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 sprays everywhere where there is abundance, where there's overflow, and where all the people around us get wet. That's what we need, right? Right? We've got to be overflowing for others. We've got to overflow, and that's why our great that's why we have such a great need for revival. Our greatest need personally is revival. Our greatest need for our families is revival. Our greatest need at Grace Church is revival. The greatest need in Dallas, Texas is revival. The greatest need of the United States and the world is revival. And you can pick whatever term. My point here is not to be controversial. Probably can't help it. Probably get out of bed being controversial. but, (laughs) But that's not my intent. You can pick your term. Do you want to say be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you want to say filled with the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed, poured? I don't care. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing. Every one of us, we desperately need it, even if we have all those other foundations in place. And so now when I say baptized in the Holy Spirit, I know what you're thinking. Everybody's saying we're talking about speaking in tongues. Okay, I know, I know, I know. Okay. I'm not talking about that. Now, I'll tell you honestly, I, I pray in the Spirit. I experienced that 20, 30 years ago. It is a vital, important prayer. I pray every day in the Spirit. I love it. I don't know how to pray as I should, but the Spirit helps me to intercede. I love it. Now, all that said, there's never going to be a time where we're going to say, hey, whoever wants to receive the Holy Spirit, come on up here, and then you're going to get about 20 people around the guy, and you're going to do this whole thing, and we're going to say, uh, you know, say this after me. Johnny, Johnny, God, God, a Honda, a Honda. Okay, now say it again. Johnny, God, a Honda. Say it a little faster. Johnny got a Honda. Okay, now say this after me. I tie, I tie your bow tie, your bow tie. You tie, you tie my bow tie. You tie, I tie your bow tie, you tie my bow tie. It's never going to happen, okay? (laughs) Okay? But... So that's a side issue. But we need power. This is this is about power. We're not talking about all the ladies needing to go. And I don't know where you go to get this done. One of those neon blue swirly ice cream cone hairdos. I don't know where those things get done. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about starting to say, ah, uh, at the end of every sentence, as in Jesus-ah, or uh, he loves you-ah. Uh. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about getting weird. Though, let me give you a clue, every single one of you are weird, okay? (laughs) We are talking about the power of God. We're talking about a desperate need for the power of God. We need more of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it desperately. You need it. The church needs it. The world needs it. And some might say, well, I thought that I, I got it all when I became a Christian. 
And in one way we do, we do get it all. You don't, just by encountering the Holy Spirit in a deeper way, we don't get more saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm not touching the issue of our adoption that is based totally on the work of Jesus Christ, His death for our sin, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension. I'm not talking about that at all. But there's always more to experience in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's always more. Let me give you, here's a great quote. I'll just throw this thing up here. This is from, I think, honestly, one of my favorite authors in the world. It's a guy named uh, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a great dead dude who lived in England. Probably one of the, the most respected biblical expositors since Spurgeon probably. And this would be over a broad cross-section, the charismatic guys, the, the non-charismatic, everybody would respect Spurgeon. Spurgeon is a dude. He's a big-time dude. Here's his quote. Someone said to him, I got it all when I became a Christian. Here's his response, and maybe I can do this in a little British accent. I'm tempted to do the quote in kind of a mocking way, but he wouldn't have done it that way. He was very dignified. So here goes my British attempt here. Got it all? Well, if you got it all, I simply ask, in the name of God, why are you as you are? If you've got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? Got it all. Got it at your conversion. Well, where is it, I ask? That's a great quote. Where is it? That's, that's all that matters, right? Where is it? Where's the power? If we got it all, where's the power? Where's, where's the wet people all around you because of the overflow of your life? Where's the power of God? Peter's life is just the ultimate great biblical example of a guy like us who is terribly, desperately weak and has great need for more of the Holy Spirit. Peter couldn't be a more committed follower of Jesus. He's, we all know the story of Jesus coming along the Sea of Galilee and he's there fishing with his brothers and his dad and Jesus does a miracle or two and rocks their world and says, come and follow me. And Peter leaves everything, his father, the business. It's not supposed to be atypical of what everybody's supposed to do. Sometimes we leave our business and we stay in our business, but we stay in it with a totally different value system. It's totally different people. But he couldn't be more committed Christian. He couldn't be more committed follower of Jesus. You don't get more radical than this guy. He loves Jesus. He's among Jesus' inner circle with James and John. He's experienced profound illumination. And we all know the story where, where Jesus is with his disciples and he says, who, who do men say that I am? And they go through the list of all the possible scenarios of who this miracle worker is. And it's Peter who sees something. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. So he's been illuminated. Jesus says, boy, flesh and blood didn't tell you that one, Peter, but it's my father who's in heaven. Peter was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seen Jesus' body shine like lightning. The glory was so intense that in God's mercy, he had to put them all asleep there or they would have died. He, he's experienced some stuff. Peter is loyal. 
He is a loyal guy. He says, I don't care if they all forsake you. I'll never forsake you. His heart to be loyal and faithful to the Lord is, is golden. But Peter, guess what? Is weak, like you and me. And when Jesus is betrayed, rather than standing with his friend in the moment, he's a coward. He follows at a distance, waiting to see what's going to happen in the courtyard of the high priest. Peter's confronted with his identity where he repeatedly denies that he knows Jesus, even completely wimps out to a little teenage uh, servant girl. He's just got no power to stand on his convictions. Even after the resurrection, even after John 20, when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into his disciples and they become born again, Peter loses vision. He says, I'm going fishing. And they go back. And, well, the other guy said, well, we'll go with you too. And Jesus has to come and draw them back and remind them how important it is to go to Jerusalem. Because something's about to happen to Peter in Jerusalem. Something's about to happen in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And turn with me now, finally, let's look at Acts chapter 2, which is what this is all about. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 1, and we're going to buzz through here. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared upon them. Like there's a visible sign of a fire above the heads of, of the disciples. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? These are, these are stupid fishermen. And how is it that we hear each of them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, etc. Um, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, hey, they're just full of wine. There's always mockers, aren't there? But here's one of the great verses in all of Scripture to me. It says, this is, I think this is N.A., New American Standard. I like that version the best. It says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, lifted his voice. What a, what a beautiful, what a beautiful picture of our friend who's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the wimp has now found power to be who he is. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And Peter, the coward, preaches like a wild man and before this throng of people. And Peter, the uneducated fisherman, preaches and interprets Joel uh, so that they understand that this is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And 
Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus, the Savior who lived a perfect life and was the Lamb of God who came to bear the sins of the world and rose, died for the sins of even those who pierced him and rose from the dead and calls them to personal accountability. And he preaches how all of the Old Testament prophecies about King David and the Davidic kingdom that was to come are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then he brings the whole thing to a head and he says in, in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Man, isn't that there's the impact of a Holy Spirit empowered life, a Holy Spirit-empowered life proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Brothers, what should we do? They're cut to the heart. And Peter says to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a wonder, huh? What a day. He's boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, great power and authority, 3,000 authentic converts. And I'm not talking about uh, 20th century American converts where you pray a prayer with every head down, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, all kinds of apologies. No, it, they're baptized. They're baptized publicly. Everybody knows the stand that they're making. It has family ramifications. It has job ramifications. It has cultural ramifications. They're baptized. They're publicly making a covenantal stand that for me and my house, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And then they're added. Number two, they're added to the local church. Authentic revival is never a me and Jesus experience. You read about revivals throughout the scripture and throughout history, and it always leads to commitment to the local church. Church membership grows. People understand that they need to be built together with the body of Christ in the same way that Ezekiel 37 is fulfilled. Bones need to be joined to bones, muscle to muscle, etc. Okay? So welcome to Revival, friends. A grace work of God where Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on individuals, churches, cities, nations, that the church might display His power and glory and that the world might come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you want to experience real revival? I think we all do, don't we? Don't we long for the stuff we read here? Doesn't it stir our hearts to long to know the Lord more? We're looking at real revival in Acts 2. Do, do you want to know what you have to do to make revival happen? 
Do you want to know what you have to do? Well, it's impossible. You can't do anything. It's Revival is God coming to his people. It's supernatural. It's a divine grace work of God. Only God can rend the heavens and come down. Only Jesus can baptize us in his Holy Spirit. And though we can't create revival, it's impossible, okay? We can't stir up an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can't have a Jericho march around the room, and we can't kick up the band and stir. That's, that's just not what revival's all about. It's a work of grace where God himself comes by the power of his spirit to be among his people. So though it's impossible, there are a few things that we can do. Here they are. We can pray, we can prepare, and we can pursue. We can pray. There's isn't a day that goes by that each of us are not aware of the troubled times that we live in. You turn on the news, it can be absolutely overwhelming. And you can think, what's the answer? Is it economic? If we just change things economically, that's what we need to do. No, you know what the problem is? The problem is moral. We've got all of these wicked behaviors going on in society. That's what the problem is. No, you know what the problem is? The problem is the environment. We're not taking care of the environment the way we should. You can go through your litany of all of the answers. The world's got a million different answers to what's wrong. You want to know what God's answer is? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people. You want you want to rescue America? I don't think a political party is going to do it. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, my people, if my people not if the world, not if the homosexuals, not if the, not if the, not if the, if my people who are called by name, humble, my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land because he'll pour out a baptism of his Holy Spirit and transform the church and the church will rock the world again like it did in Acts chapter 2, like it's done does throughout the book of Acts and like it's done throughout history when the Holy Spirit has come. So we, we can pray. Number two is we can prepare. We can prepare our hearts. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says a very interesting line. He says this, He says, blessed, the Sermon on the Mount is full of blesseds. But the word blessed means to be so overtaken with God's goodness that you're envied by people who look on at your life. Here's who's blessed. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Wow, what a promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Question, what are you hungry about? 
What are you thirsty for? What consumes your time and your attention? And I'm not calling us to some weird thing where we, we just go to the mountains and live in caves and we get holy. No, I, God's purpose is supposed to function in normal life. But it has to be balanced life. We've got to say no to a bunch of stuff. In one way, we're supposed to be completely like the world. We love baseball. We eat food. We sleep. We're, we're completely like everybody around us. In another way, we're completely different than everybody around us. Totally different who we are at the very core of our nature, what we live for, where we're going, how we interpret life. Totally different, okay? So I'm not saying let's go to the mountains and, and get weird there. But we've got to evaluate what we hunger and what we thirst for. And we've got to change that so that we can hunger and thirst for more of the Lord. We've got to make time to meet with him. We've got to make time to get on our knees. We've we've got to have time to, to read his word and have our whole paradigm transformed so that we see life as as it really is through the Lord's perspective. And then the last thing is we need to pursue. And we can take uh, we need to pursue those things that revival, that real revival produces. And we can see what that is by looking back to our our Bibles at Acts chapter 2, and and let's continue reading here at verse 42. See what the Holy Spirit... We get to see here what a Holy Spirit-baptized church looks like. It says this, And they devoted themselves... Wow. Devotion. That's that's interesting. That's an interesting word. I normally don't think of the word devotion when I think of church people. Right? Do you? They devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. That means they're devoted to the word. They're devoted to the word. And I'll just give you... And I, like, I like to talk to men. So ladies, just close your ears for a second. Let me just talk to the men. Okay? Brothers... If all you get during the week is Craig's teaching, I mean, Craig is the best. We're not going to do any better than that. You're not going to find better teaching than than that any place. Craig is a huge gift to us. But guess what? Everything that he teaches us is milk. It's pre-digested. He's the one who's done the studying. He's the one who's been digging in the Word. He's the one who's been praying. He's the one who's been studying and reading. He's been preparing to love and serve you. He's been sacrificing. And we sit and we go, and it's great. It's good milk. It's chocolate milk. It's, you know, it's good. But brothers, it's milk. It's milk. If you're going to grow in the Lord, you've got to learn to eat meat. You have to study the word for yourself. You've got to step up and be a man who's a man of the word. Devoted to the word. Okay, is that all right? Can I just say that and you guys will forgive me? They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the fellowship. That means the gathering of the believers. They're devoted to it. They're stuck on it. They're devoted to breaking bread. Now, this is all, this, every one of these things could be a whole series, okay? Breaking bread, a life. Their homes are opened. Hospitality, fellowship, people coming and going. Come on over. What are you doing after church? A life together, not just they go and attend a meeting. Great, see you. Hey, really nice seeing you. Bless you. Bye-bye now. See you, see you in a week. no. Life from house to house, okay? And prayer, as we already hit on. And it says, what's that produce? It says, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Wow, there's a context here that stuff is bubbling, man. 
And all who believed were together. They had everything in common. doesn't mean they were communists. It means they were generous, okay? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to, to all as anybody had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There's something about these people's lives where they're relatable. They're relatable with the people at their job and in their neighborhood, they have favor. There's something about this people and the way they do life that is attractive. It's beautiful. It's intriguing to people. And what's the fruit of that? The Lord adds to their number daily, those that are being saved. People come to know the Lord, man. They see something. They want to be a part of it. They see God in the midst of a people. Okay, I'm done. Last thing here. Are you thirsty for more of God's Holy Spirit? Here's a great verse for you. Let's close here at John 7. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up, And cried out. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You who are thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. Shake off whatever lesser things that you value that get in the way of that. Come to Jesus and drink. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.